0: Let's pray before we begin. Father God, we thank you Lord, for this time and for giving us the opportunity to look at your word and to, and, uh, to, uh, to uh, study and understand what it has to speak to us today, especially with regards to the topic of suffering and evil in our lives. So Lord, We have so many questions, but we pray a lot with the help of your spirit who illuminates your word that you will enable us to understand something of your greatness and glory even in the most adverse of circumstances. We pray for your your guidance as we sit in your presence. In the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we ask. Amen. So um it's quite interesting that the week I'm supposed to speak uh, on purposes of God in our suffering. I my, I ended up falling sick because of my kids. And then um on Thursday I was you know doing my Usual bike ride, and just after uh, the high school on uh, Louis Saint Laurent, I crashed off my bike and ended up bruising my uh, uh, right leg. So, I don't know if that's a message from God, or but it definitely gives a little bit more relevance to me personally as I speak on this topic. You know, last week we were talking about the sovereignty of God in suffering. How God is in control even when bad things happen and he orders things with a purpose, even when it seems like you know our suffering is meaningless. You know, we, we remember that what we call suffering, what we call evil, is not part of God's original design for this world. Suffering is a result of a world in which sin is present and in which... Sin contaminates the goodness of the world that God created. And there's different uh, kinds of suffering. There's what we call natural evil, which is not of particular human action, although the kids who march for climate change awareness may disagree, but you know typically things like tornadoes and hurricanes and cancer are, is called uh, natural evil. And then there's moral evil, such as injustice and persecution and, and uh, sexual violence. The Bible itself lists multiple types of suffering. You know, we have earthquakes, we have uh, skin disease, dysentery, leprosy, and uh, even what some people would consider depression. If you read the book of uh, Job and Psalms, many people consider that depression is also one of the things that is present in those books but we know that if suffering is not part of god's original design it still leaves the question of why does god allow suffering you know as an atheist philosopher asks if god is willing to prevent evil is he willing to prevent evil but he is not able or if that is the case, then he is impotent or he is weak. Or is it that he is able, but not willing? In which case, then he is malevolent or he is he has a, a negative streak. If he is both able and willing, then he has what is evil. So... Bible in multiple places says God is not the author of evil. For example, in James chapter 1 and verse 13, we know this verse, it says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God is not the author of evil. At the same time, he is sovereign and in control over evil. That means evil does not take God by surprise. It doesn't frustrate his plans for the world. In fact, it is a part of his plans for the world. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 to 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So evil and suffering, though he is not the author, he is in control. And it doesn't frustrate his plans. So if God is able to prevent evil and suffering, and yet allows it to continue, without him himself being malevolent, as the Bible says, without him being tainted by it, it means that he has purposes for that suffering and evil. And because God is good, and he is not the author of evil, he himself cannot be tempted by evil. It means that the sufferings that God has or the purposes that God has for evil and suffering are good purposes. It means that suffering is somehow incorporated into his good and glorious plans for the world. It means that he's not apathetic, but rather that he cares for the world even when he allows suffering and evil to go on in the world. Now, to go through all the purposes of God for suffering would take a substantial amount of time. But today, we'll focus on what the scripture says God's purposes in suffering for Christians, for his people, for those who belong to him. And the passage we just read in Philippians is uh, is in the wider context of uh, Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi because they are being persecuted by the Jews for their faith and because they are not willing to go back to their old religious beliefs. to, to judaism so they are suffering and paul himself is no stranger to suffering for the faith as he says like i have suffered the loss of so many things and he wishes to encourage his listeners to be steadfast in their suffering knowing both that god is sovereign over their suffering and also that he has a purpose for their suffering and that purpose for suffering is tied to God's purposes for his children in their lives. It is not apart. It is not separate from God's plan for your life, but it is an important part of God's plan for your life. And what is the aim of that plan? What is the aim of God's plan for your life? You go to verse 7 or, or verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So here we read that the aim of Christian life is to know Jesus Christ my Lord. And that knowing we know is that it's not an intellectual knowledge or it's not just intellectual knowledge but it's an intimate relationship to be identified with Jesus Christ in a personal relationship, as we later read in this passage, to be found in him. Verse 10 of chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So secondly, it says knowing him means that we have to become like him, conformed into the image of Christ, specifically into the image of Christ in his death what does that mean and for to understand that phrasing what does it mean to have the image of christ at christ's death we go back to the familiar verse in philippians chapter 2 verse 8 it says and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross so Jesus' example of enduring trust and obedience to God, even in the face of the greatest suffering, in the face of the greatest evil, to the point of dying an unjust and, 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 and a full of suffering type of death on the cross. That is the high mark, the high point to which all Christian lives must aim. And in that knowing and in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ in his death, Paul says that we should have to share or, or what the original language says, We should have a fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. So the ultimate purpose of suffering in Christian life is to know Christ intimately And to become like him. But let's use this passage to look at uh, some more um, deeper understanding of what God's purposes are for us when we suffer. So firstly, you look at verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord So the first purpose that God has in our suffering is to remind us that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here you see the phrasing is Christ Jesus, my Lord. So the intimacy of a personal relationship with Christ Jesus is that you get to call him my Lord. Whereas the world, if you read in Philippians chapter 2 again, the world will one day have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord. Or the Lord, whichever is the right English uh, enunciation, I forget. But Christians have the privilege to call Jesus Christ my Lord when all the world will have to acknowledge him just as Lord. But having that intimacy doesn't remove the impact of the fact that he is Lord, which means that he is master and commander and ruler of your life. He is sovereign. He is in control. His ways are not our ways. So when it comes to suffering, sometimes in our quest for answers for why this is happening to me, we tend to forget that God doesn't owe us an answer. He has graciously given us answers for many things, including the big picture for why we are suffering. But often we ask, why specifically did this happen in my life? Or why specifically did this happen to that person? And then we need to be reminded that he is the Lord of the universe and he doesn't owe us an answer. You take the example of Job in the Old Testament. We know in Job's life there was a lot of suffering. And so God asks, and and, and Job goes to God at the end and says, God, why did you allow all the suffering to come into my life and in that question Job presumed that he knew enough of God and the world to, un- to be able to understand if God had told him this is the purpose for why these specific things happened in your life Job presumed that he would be able to understand but you know what God asks Job in response he takes him to the whole of creation and he asks him, do you know how the world is created? Do you know how the world runs? Do you know why these big creatures exist and why, how they are created and how they survive? And he didn't reveal why God had allowed suffering in Job's life. Because he wanted Job to understand that even in the midst of suffering, God had allowed it to happen for his good, for Job's good, and for God's glory. We presume that we, under- we know enough to understand why God allows certain things to happen in the way they happen. In the life of Paul, he gives us an example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 79, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited or self-confident, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I have from God, a thorn was given me in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn is. It's some kind of ailment. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul wanted to know why. And he wanted to be healed. These are appropriate questions for uh, questions for Christians to ask of God. Never let it, you know it come to the point where you are afraid to ask God why, or you are afraid to ask God to be healed. You have to. But sometimes God gives you the answer that is not a direct response to your question but he will say that you will go through this so that you can rely on my grace for your sustenance instead of your own self-confidence. You know, how often is the case that our prayer life is just wrought and and, um, a routine and kind of meaningless or neglected except when suffering overtakes us. You know, as the hymn writer Horatio Bonner once said, he said, nothing so quickens prayer as trial. It sends us at once to our knees and shuts the door of our closet behind us. Suffering is often a reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is powerful. He is in control. We need to rely on Him. And acknowledging Christ as Lord means being humble about ourselves. Realize that we have nothing to boast about in terms of our knowledge or control over our own lives, but we are to rely on him for our life and sustenance. So it's a reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, you go to verse 9. It says, And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So sometimes suffering is to remind us that we have a righteousness from God. You know, here Paul is reminding his listeners that our righteousness does not come from observing the law by doing things, but we have a righteousness from God which is a gift given to us by faith in Christ Jesus. That means those who are found in Christ Jesus have the right standing with God, have a status with God, Where God counts you righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. It is a status that is not dependent on anything we have done or we will do, but based on what Christ has done for us. So then you ask the question, how does suffering remind us that we have a righteousness from God if we don't have to do anything? Because when you have the status of being right with God, the Bible says we have to live a life that is in accordance with that status, to be found in Christ, to be identified with Christ, to be continually transformed into the image of Christ means that we have to live holy lives pertaining to that status. So the purpose of God's, of God and suffering sometimes is to remind us that we have to live holy lives. And then so you may ask, isn't this similar to like um, what the Hindus called karma? No, it's not. Because what karma is, is transactional in nature. You do a good thing, you get rewarded. You do a bad thing, you get punished. But it has no aim as to what it is trying to transform you into. Whereas we read in the Bible that sometimes God is patient with our sins. Willing that we should come to repentance. And that he disciplines us so that we are set on the right path. Not necessarily to punish us, like, oh, you did, you stole something, so let me punish you. But rather that if you, leave, if you live unholy lives, you have a pattern of unholiness, then God will discipline you in order to set you on the right path. So a big aspect of suffering in a Christian's life is to remind us that we are to live in accordance with our righteous standing from God. Now, sometimes that suffering is not necessarily part of Christian suffering. What do I mean by that? First Peter chapter 4, verse 15 to 16, it says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So sadly, sometimes Christians do commit evil that go against the laws or rules of society, and the suffering that you receive as a result, whether that is from the judicial system or from the penalties imposed by the government that arise from that, while also falling under the category of suffering, that is not Christian suffering. God does not provide his people a pass when they do evil and are judged rightly by the world for that, because God is the righteous judge of all people. And he's not in the business of giving his own people a pass. But then there's suffering that comes to you because you're a Christian, because your faith and identity leads the world to persecute you. And that is a suffering that brings glory to God through your testimony of faithful endurance. A second aspect of suffering for righteousness is when we go against God's intention for how we are to live with holiness in our personal and communal lives as Christians. The best example of this we know is in First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 29 to 32 it says for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged but when we are judged by the Lord we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along the world. So here we see God's zealousness for his people's Holiness in this context, especially in how they respect and love and discern and do not sin against their fellow brothers and sisters. That suffering, even to the point of death, is used as a means of judgment by God when we go astray. And both types of suffering, whether that's from the world or from the church uh, or in the context of the church or in your personal life, is meant to restore us to the path of holy living. And is not intended to be a continual part of our lives. God doesn't intend that he continually disciplines us for unholy living. But if we are living in unholiness, then God will discipline us. So if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 6, and then verse 11, it says, Have you not forgotten the ex- exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Because God loves us, he doesn't want us to live in a manner that is in accord with our status as God's children. But even when you take away those aspects of suffering, which is in response to a pattern of unholiness, there still remains Christian suffering. And that's why later on in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 11 he says for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So Christian suffering that Peter refers to as we read earlier is the suffering we encounter in daily life that God uses to refine us to purify us so that we can bear the fruits of righteousness in our lives. And that is an aspect of the Father's loving training of us as sons and daughters, just like earthly fathers use every situation in life to guide their children into maturity. So God also uses suffering in our life, whether that be sickness or or the the death of a loved one or persecution, he uses that as a means of discipline so that we can bear the fruits of righteousness in keeping with accordance with our status and guide us into Christian maturity. So lastly, let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So sometimes suffering is a reminder actually in all times, suffering is a reminder that Christ suffered in our place on our behalf. Here Paul says knowing Christ specifically means two things. It says that you know the power of his resurrection which gives us both the hope that we ourselves will be resurrected one day into glory because Christ has resurrected therefore His people will also be resurrected. And that also gives us the strength to endure our lives here on this earth. That is the hope of resurrection. Both for the present and for the future. And then he says to know him means to have fellowship with him in his sufferings. That we might suffer like Christ did. In order that we may be conformed to the image of Christ in his death. That is the aim of our Christian life. So what does that fellowship of suffering mean one it means that Christ's sufferings on this earth for our behalf even when he was even though he was sinless shows us that God is not absent in our suffering but rather that God who could have said you rebelled against me therefore you are suffering the consequences of your rebellion therefore you go figure it out instead of that God said I am going to enter into this world and I am going to undergo the injustice and evil of this fallen world to the point of being crucified on the cross and we know yet even in that circumstance Christ Jesus remained faithful and trusting In the goodness of God. So we have an example that we can follow, that we can share in our own sufferings. That if we follow the example of Jesus Christ, we can bring glory to God, and that is a testimony to God. Just like Jesus' suffering was a testimony to everyone who observed Him on the cross, whether that was the thief or the Roman centurion. Secondly, the fellowship of suffering means that the power of Jesus' resurrection gives us the confidence that God will overcome the evil and suffering of this world one day because Christ has already overcome the power of evil and death through his resurrection. And that same resurrection glory awaits the people of God who are being redeemed continually from the hold of evil in this world. And one day that redemption will be made complete on the day of our own resurrection from these mortal and failing bodies. So you have a resurrection hope that means that suffering is not meaningless and that suffering will not defeat us, but rather it gives us the opportunity to find joy and rejoice even in the midst of suffering. What is the first verse of Philippians chapter 3, the passage that we are just reading? It says, finally my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Later on he will say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Who can truly rejoice in suffering? Those who know that suffering and evil will not have the final word in their lives. And those are the people of God who are marked for resurrection. Because of the faithful witness of Jesus Christ in his own sufferings on this earth, whereby he overcame it, and he was resurrected, and one day we too will be. That is our hope, that is our confidence, that is our ground for rejoicing even in the midst of sufferings. You know, George MacDonald said that the Son of God suffered unto death not that men might not suffer but rather that their sufferings might be like His. The Son of God suffered unto death not that you will not suffer, but rather that your sufferings will become like His. It means that not only is there a Christian suffering, but there is a uniquely Christian response to suffering one that is characterized by hope in God and a joy that cannot be taken away and ultimately bears testimony to the glory and goodness of God. That's why he says, we are to become like Christ in his death. That means the attitude of Christ when he endured suffering, the one of trust and faithfulness to God is to be our attitude as well. But more than that, we ask ourselves, who did Christ die for? Christ did not die for himself, but for us. So when we go through suffering, we have to remember that it is part of God's plan for us to be conformed to Christ's image. So our primary attitude to suffering should not just be asking God for deliverance, as much as that is important, but also for asking God for the strength to endure so that we can learn to trust and rely on God more. And if you go back to Philippians chapter 2, and the context of the passage we read when Jesus became obedient unto that, if we read from verse three, it says, "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." That is an aspect of suffering that we often neglect. What is the mind of Christ Jesus? That he did not look to his own self-interest, but to the interest of others. So one aspect of suffering that we often do not think about is how does our suffering affect others? How is it an example or a testimony to God? How can I encourage others in my suffering and give them confidence for the suffering that they might face down the road? You know, in Galatians chapter 6, and verse 2, it says, Bear each other's burdens. How do we help our fellow brothers and sisters in their suffering? How do we come alongside them in their suffering? Whether that be in the form of prayer or of comfort or of support. Suffering is a reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a reminder that we have a righteousness from God, that we have to live holy lives. And sometimes God will discipline us in order for that fruit of righteousness to be revealed in our lives. But it's also a reminder that Christ suffered in our place and gave us an example of how to endure in suffering and how to care for one another when we go through suffering. We have to admit that we do not have all the answers that we seek for why there is so much suffering and evil in this world. But God has told us, He wants us to be reminded that He is sovereign and in control, that Jesus Christ is Lord even in our sufferings, and that He is good, and He will not abandon us to the despair of suffering, because in His resurrection power, we have the hope that one day all of our suffering too will end, and we will be resurrected like Him. But while we are here on this earth, God uses suffering to discipline us, to mold us into the image of His Son so that we can both have a uniquely Christian experience of suffering and a uniquely Christian response to suffering, which is that we rejoice in the Lord always. You know, um, a few weeks ago, I went to a funeral for my uh, great-aunt, my grandfather's sister she died just a few months short of her hundredth birthday and uh, when um at her funeral, her youngest son there she had four children, the youngest son shared an anecdote that kind of uh stuck with me this um this grandmother. She was uh, the wife of an evangelist and they came from uh, a very poor background. And you know, being an evangelist is not something that propels you to a lot of like worldly possession. So throughout their lives, bringing up their children back home, they never had much. They all were always suffering in the midst of poverty and ill health because they couldn't afford uh, you know the medicines and all that we have access to today and but they raised their children up they stayed faithful and this grandmother because the husband would go out to preach and uh, to disciple others she would be the one running the home taking care of the economics and so there was a lot of struggle but her uh, her son ended up coming to the US and then he brought his whole family along and then their one desire was that their parents had suffered so much that in the last days of their life they wanted to give them a time of rest and relaxation. So when they were both about 70 they brought them to the US so they could be with the grandkids and they could rest and relax and then suddenly like three four years later the husband passed away and that was very sudden, it was not expected and and it was so sudden that this grandmother then lived for a further 25 years And, and the son was sharing, the youngest son was sharing like when he was at his dad's funeral he thought about the fact that all his life what he wanted to do was to give his parents a few years of rest and relaxation for all of the toil and struggle that they had endured in their 70 years of life. And then, just like three, four years later, not in India, but in the United States, where they have access to all the best facilities in medicine and so on, he just passed away suddenly. And and Thinking of that at the funeral, he was so overcome with emotion that he was crying very loudly. And uh, he's a very like uh, uh, stocky, heavyset man, so you can imagine what a scene that would have been because he's overcome with emotion. And his mother is sitting, you know, near the body and uh, and taking the condolences from people, and she's sad and so on. But after half an hour, she comes to his side and whispers in his ear. I'll paraphrase it as the best as I can from the original language. He said She said, Why are you wailing like the world which is in despair and has no hope? And then he stopped. Because all the years of her struggle and suffering had taught her that to trust in god and to hope in god means that you not only have a perspective on suffering but you also have a response to it that displays to the world what your testimony is may god give us the strength to endure in times of suffering to be reminded of his lordship to give us resurrection power to rejoice in its midst, so that we can bear testimony to the glory and goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for us, who died for us, and who now lives for us. May we live and die for Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for its clarity, and for its abundance of teaching that gives us uh, um, a guidelines how to live life, that gives us answers to why you allow certain things in our life, but doesn't give us all the answers other than to tell us that you are good, that you have only our best in your mind, that you work together all things for good, even the worst of circumstances, so that we can be conformed to the image of your Son. We can share in his sufferings. We can become like him in his death so that one day when we are resurrected, we have the hope and glory of God. And while we are here on this earth, we bear testimony to your grace and your goodness in our lives. May our experience and our examples of suffering both be a reminder to us and a testimony to those watching us that you are God and that you are good and that you have not abandoned us to despair. Instead, even in the most adverse of circumstances, we look forward with confidence, with hope, to the goodness of God and of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. May the Spirit embolden us and enable us come through times of adversity more mature, more strengthened more confident, more resolute to live for you. And we pray O Lord that that will be true of all of us as we go out into the world this week. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we ask.